Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Die Hard on a Black, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. I'm Philip Gawthorne, and today our film is Hard Target. It's Die Hard in New Orleans. Uh, so Liam is on paternity leave, uh, so he won't be joining us today. But this is a very special episode with a very special guest. So when we launched this podcast, uh, I did an interview with a magazine called Pod Bible, and one of the questions they asked me was, "Who would be your dream guest for the show?" And my answer was a gentleman by the name of Kyle Brandt. Uh, Now, Kyle is known to millions as the host of Good Morning Football on the NFL Network. He's also the host of his own show and podcast, Kyle Brandt's Basement. Uh, But most importantly, he is an action movie superfan. And having listened to him talk so passionately about action movies on other great film podcasts, I just had a feeling that we were kindred spirits. So I am I, I put it out into the universe and I'm and thanks to my friend Shona who introduced us and made this happen, I am thrilled to announce that our guest today is none other than Kyle Brandt himself. So a very warm welcome to Kyle. Philip, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I can't sit still. I cannot wait to talk to you, to talk Hard Target. And I'm genuinely flattered and touched that you mentioned my name as the ideal person to come on. You could have said Jean-Claude Van Damme himself. You could have said Lance Hendrickson. You could have said anybody. And you said me, and I'm like, sign me up. And honestly, it had almost nothing to do with that. It was all the opportunity to talk about the major motion picture Hard Target, which is very close and dear to me. So I, when 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 you said you were willing to come on the show, yeah. there were a few other options, but this was the one that you gravitated towards. What is it about Hard Target that means so much to you? Why are you so excited to talk about it? Well, before I even get into that, I'm glad I could be here because I now, I, I haven't announced this or anything, but I have a second job now that's kind of a big deal. I am uh, passing out flyers with a phone sex line on the, on the community <laughs> and it's good work. It's good, honest work. A lot of my coworkers have disappeared mysteriously, but I'm still making green doing that, and I'm into it. Um, the answer, the honest question, other than the similarity between what I do and what Chance does in the movie, is uh, I just the second I saw the words "hard target," I'll tell you why. Because there are many podcasts that talk about Die Hard, of course. There are many podcasts that talk about even other Van Damme movies. You could find Bloodsport podcasts and Kickboxer podcasts and then the ones that make fun of them and Sudden Death and Tag Team and Double Impact. Hard Target is this one th- this one little jewel in the Van Damme IMDb in which he was a massive star. It's really strange. The visuals of it are awful. It only exists mostly in jokes about his haircut and punching a snake, and that's it. And yet I submit there are some incredible things in this movie that don't get talked about. So the second I saw Hard Target, I'm like, this is this is my movie. I saw it in the theater when I was in eighth grade, and I remember it vividly. And I yeah, I'm just tell us about that. I'd love to. What 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 are your memories of actually seeing this movie in the theater? 
Well, our memories are, this is immediately post-Universal Soldier. Universal right. Soldier was near and dear to me because it was Frank Dukes fighting against Ivan Drago. I mean, this mm -hmm. was a really cool thing. Now, is it the uh, Dollar Store Terminator? Absolutely. But Dollar Store Terminator is still great. I saw that. Van Damme wears the eyepiece and their soldiers and he fights Dolph Lundgren. I just thought it was so great. So in the wake of that, I would have seen anything that Van Damme did. I was fully on okay. board. And this is like the trailers at the time when Hard Target was coming out, they would sell Van Damme as a package. And I remember that one of the trailers said, wham, bam, Van Damme. And I was like, oh my God, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. I'm 14 and he jump kicks people. And apparently now they're hunting him and he right. has this wild haircut and I gotta see it. So my best friend Parker and I went, we went opening night and we absolutely were just in love with it. And it, it's Van Damme was having a, about a half decade here where he was one of the biggest stars in the world. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of came to the Van Damme party almost retrospectively. Like I, I've grown to love him more and more and more as the years have gone on in, in an almost unironic way. <laughs> you know, I, I truly, I think he is, I think he's a real movie star. Obviously he started with these kind of Canon pictures that were a little more, a little funky, a little more low budget. And he kind of worked his way into doing mm. these more high, high quality studio pictures. And uh, here's my other question for you about Van Damme uh, and yeah. this film is, is, do you think this is Van Damme's best film? Because I do. Hmm. That's a good question. Well, listen, it's it's certainly in a lot of ways his most pedigreed, obviously, with, with John Woo. There's a big budget behind it. The action set pieces are huge. Um, Lance Hendrickson was a, is, a, is a respected guy. We have, I can't believe we've gotten this far into the conversation and not said the words Wilford and Brimley yet, which is one oh, of the craziest third worry. act megastars. Don't worry. I, I assume we'll have a Wilford Brimley we're conversation. We're allowing plenty of space for, for, for Wilford. No worries. <laughs> this is the best part ever. Uncle I'm Duvet so is high on the agenda here today. Don't you worry. Um, is it his best film? It, it may be his best film because it really is beautifully done in a lot of different ways. I think his his like the one that will be he'll be remembered by is probably still Bloodsport and I think yeah. that's a lot of the first films we've seen. I I wonder you Philip, you said you came to him maybe different way than some people did. Do you remember the first Van Damme movie you ever saw? What which was it? Oof, that's a great question. Um I suspect it probably was Universal Soldier because no that kidding. was kind of the most the most mainstream. I discovered mm -hmm. the later stuff like Bloodsport kind of weirdly late. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I honestly only, a couple of buddies of mine, uh, it was St. Patrick's Day about five years ago and they were like, right, you've never seen Bloodsport, we need to address this. Oh and the gosh. first time I watched it, I, I was like, what are we watching? This has the production values of bad porn. This is unwatchable. <laughs> the next day I watched it again and I'm like, because I was sort of, there's something there, but I, I can't kind of yeah, unpack sure. it. Now I watch it every week. I fall asleep to it. <laughs> I have naps to it. I, it's my uh, comfort blanket. Sure. But Universal Soldier, like you, was this, yeah, I was, because I was all about the Terminator. And Universal Soldier, as you say, yeah. was kind of your, your dollar stored Terminator. But one of the things I think is interesting about uh, Van Damme and placing it in context with, with, this, with this movie is the same thing I think is true with Arnold is when you have an actor that English isn't their first language and they're more known for their physicality. If you look at the difference between the movies that they make with a kind of real director like Roland Emmerich, or in this case, John Woo, or Peter Hyams, who directed Time Cop and Sudden Death, sure. and their studio, their more high quality studio pictures, mm -hmm. you really the, you really see the difference. And I think the same is true with Arnold when he worked with like McTiernan on Predator or uh, when he worked with um, Paul Verhoeven on Total Recall mm -hmm. or, or the James Cameron collaborations. Mm -hmm. It elevates 
them because it's a real director with a real kind of sure, sure hand. So oh, yeah. I liked Van Damme, but I've come to like kind of I, I've come to love him mm-hmm. uh, as the years uh, as the years have gone by. Well, I think to your point, you know, I, I I look at somebody I consider his real contemporary is Steven Seagal. And right. Steven Seagal has done some crappy movies and they're aged terribly. Some are beloved, but he worked with Andrew Davis on yes. Under Siege. Andrew Davis went on to direct The Fugitive. This is a real director, not some guy doing some action thing in Brooklyn. And Under Siege is probably Seagal's most respected movie and Tommy Lee Jones is in it and there's all these great actors. So it's interesting when when our, when our kickers and our punchers get a shot with a guy who is an Oscar caliber or a girl who's an Oscar caliber director, can they really shine? And I like it especially with Van Damme because tell me if you agree with me, Philip. Yeah. I think when you go out of the 80s and into the 90s, the major leagues, like the two big guys are still Arnold, of course, and Sly. Because Sylvester Stallone is still going to come out with Cliffhanger and stuff. And then below that, I feel like it was Van Damme and Seagal who had a five or six year run of just straight action movies. And some of them were box office hits and some of them were big. But this is really like Van Damme's chance at an art film. Yeah. Despite all the campiness that shows up here and there, it's actually kind of a beautiful movie. Yeah, I oh I I I unapologetically love this movie to the point, but I'm weirdly like I, I almost find it uh, moving, especially the stuff at the beginning with the with the homeless community and the way that's done, and that's like John Woo's mm. lyricism and the poetic quality mm-hmm. of his. But before we get too carried away, yeah. do 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 you think it is his best film? And then I'm going to move on to some of our, our diehard stuff. But I want to kind of pin you down, like, as to what would you, yeah. how would you rank his top, say his top three in your mind? So like, it's, you start to split hairs between the semantics of best film versus favorite film. Yes, That gets yes. really hard. I don't think he made a better movie. Uh, I, I really don't. I, I guess I would say it's his best film. It's not yeah. my favorite Van Damme movie. Okay. I, I, I think Bloodsport still is. And I like Universal Soldier and I like Kickboxer. And I for, had this strange, perverse pleasure for Cyborg, which was my right. first Van Damme movie that I ever saw, which is raw as hell and really ambitious and why, and he gets crucified in the film. And then he saves himself from crucifixion by kicking the cross. So it probably is his best film, I think. Yeah, I think, I, I think so too. My other question related to this, a sub-question is, is this in the top five mullets of, of all time in action movie <laughs> history? You know, I, I would say yes. I think it has to be. I mean, I, immediately, if you're talking action movie mullets, I would just go to the goat, who is Martin Riggs, played by Mel Gibson in The Lethal Weapon 1 and 2. And I think by the time of 3, he lost it. Um, I would go further, though. Like, in an effort to make more people take this movie seriously and embrace it, I, if I could go back and change one thing, I, I, would, mm. I would change the hair. And it was amazing yeah. at the time. But you, as a young person especially, if you're in the TikTok generation or you're a Stranger Things kid, you can't watch this movie and think of anything else other than his hair. It's way too distracting. Yeah. And you said top five action mullets. I think it might be the worst hairstyle in movie history. And I'm thinking, like, it's up there with the big dogs, and I will rot them out to you. I'm talking... Kiefer Sutherland and the Lost Boys. Got him on the list. Yep. Oh, you got a list too? What's oh, yeah. on your list? Well, I I, I don't want to. I've got Kurt in Tango and Cash, right? He's in the Hall of Fame for me. <laughs> Hall of Fame of mullets. I've got Rambo, of course, right? Yep. Like a yep. pseudo mullet, but it's kind of a classic. Yep. <laughs> uh, I, what the, the one I was dying to ask you was would you throw Bosworth in there? Would would he is he an honorable mention for best action movie mullet for his uh, for sterling Stone Cold? work in Stone Cold? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. that's gotta be in there because he has the flat top too, and it's bleach. His hair is actually a little bit like Kiefer's in the Lost Boys. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. I think it was. It was a homage. <laughs> <laughs> it was a. It was a homage. Um, I. I. You know what I think is interesting. There's actually the mullet actually serves a practical purpose because of Wu's obsession with slow motion. The mullet moves right You're if right. he didn't You're have so right. there's actually uh, an aesthetic justification uh, uh, for this bullet you know there's i can make an artistic case for this bullet it's true it know? is like uh you know at, at a car dealership when they have those wind puppets to catch your eye to come and buy a car when he's doing either a spin kick or riding on a motorcycle it does almost become a character in and of itself it's, yeah. it's 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 all over the film. You it can't controls gravity. It. It, it yeah. It ha, it's it has its it's sentient potentially. Uh, <laughs> it's so, it not only is it sentient. <laughs> it is a species of mullet within a mullet. It is this wet mullet. It yeah. constantly looks like it's soaking wet. It's not a dry thing that's all feathery or anything like that. It is soaking wet, and you can't take your eyes off it. Yeah. There was a quote from Van Damme where he said, uh, "John Woo made me look like a samurai with greasy hair." And mm -hmm. I think that might be the final word uh, on that on that <laughs> subject. Um, so okay, so this show is about um, is about Die Hard and movies that Die Hard has influenced. So before we get too into the weeds, because we could talk Van Damme till till uh, till the mullets come home, uh, I just want to run through a few a, a few top line fact checks um, just to put this all in context okay. within within the other films that we've done on the show. So okay, so Hard Target is about an out of work merchant seaman who stumbles on a human hunting ring in New Orleans and decides to fight back. The movie was released uh, by. Universal in the US on August 20th, 1993, came out two weeks after the last film that we did, uh, which we just mentioned, which was The Fugitive that came out on August 6th. Great era for action nice. movies in 1993. It's actually coming up on its 30th anniversary this year. Directed by John Woo and produced by Sean Daniel, James Jacks, uh, Sam Raimi was also one of the executive producers. Um, written by Chuck Farah, who also appears as Douglas Douglas Binder, the first victim. And of course, it stars Jean-Claude Van Damme, Lance Henriksen, Yancey Butler, Wilford Brimley, and Arnold Vosloo. And on an estimated budget of 20 million, it grossed 74.2 million. So pretty, pretty solid. Um, some of that, and, and presumably six, seven dollars of that came from Mr. Carl Brandt's uh, pocket or oh, however yeah. which movie tickets were. Did you go and see I it more think, than once or, or just? No, uh, I think just once, but I was think I was still so young it came from Bob Brandt's wallet, my father. Yeah. And so I yeah. think it was probably seven bucks in Vernon Hills, Illinois at the time in 1993. Gotcha. Okay, great. <laughs> so um, so we do a section of the show now, which is called Die Hard DNA, which is where we actually uh, outline some of the direct um, connections. Um, sure. I have my list. Uh, if you have any thoughts as to how this connects to Die Hard, okay. uh, please, please throw them in. Um, but here's our Die Hard DNA that I managed to identify with this one. Go on. Um, one, it has the word hard in the title. Um, so that, that works. And the title kind of describes the hero in the way that it yes. does with, with Die Hard. Chance Boudreaux definitely dies hard. He's hard to kill. He's a, he's a, to quote, yeah, to quote a, another Seagal classic, he's a, he's a hard target. Indefatigable hero who is great at improvising and adapting. Um, we also have this vivid villain who has a little bit of Gruber in him in the sense that he's sophisticated, he's cultured, he's quite stylish, kind of a natty dresser, Lance Henriksen sure. in this movie, but he's more physically aggressive and nasty than, than Hans Gruber. There's also kind of, um, I wonder what you think about this, that there's a, there's a Western vibe to this movie, right? Would you say like- the, Oh yeah. The, the motorcycle and the dirt bike is a horse and the hair, yeah. and it's like, it, the, even the town of New Orleans, with, 
I, a lovely depiction of that city, by the way. I'm sure they're running this one over. <laughs> it's like the worst depiction <laughs> of a city ever with just complete lawlessness Lawless and we're killing game. veterans, yeah. homeless, just terrible. But yeah, it does feel like a little bit like of a, if you're a gamer, like a, a Red Dead Redemption type feel too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's kind of, um, I thought that too, particularly in the chase in the in the midsection with the with the bikes, it definitely felt like a Western, a Western sequence. Um, mm -hmm. The other big one that I, and of course, can, I, the reason I mentioned that in terms of Die Hard is because McLean is referred to as a cowboy and is yeah. called a cowboy by Gruber and so forth. So there's definitely, it's dealing with that kind of, that the idea of the cowboy archetype in a modern setting. Um, the other, the one thing that, that, that I noticed specifically though is by the finale, uh, uh, JCVD has stripped down to a McLean-esque white tank top. You're right. Um, which a weird number of films did. We talked about Ricochet recently, Denzel mm -hmm. does it in that too. Um, and and the finale, I think, is very diehard. The finale, which we'll talk about, is for me the best part of the movie. But it also features um, a moment at the end where Van Damme is in a Mexican standoff. The bad guy is holding the leading lady hostage. Um, he's forced to surrender his weapon, and he ha he has a hidden weapon, exactly like McLean at the end of Die Hard. So, although frankly, this is a movie that was like, look, I, I had to search pretty hard to find some Die Hard DNA and Die Hard connections. I, I just really wanted to do this movie because I love it. Um, but uh, there are definitely some some uh, some links. Um, oh, yeah. So. Okay, we're going to move on to a section of the show now called uh, Anatomy of an Action Movie, which is really okay. where we kind of break down the... This is my sort of theory about... I don't know if you know this about me, Carl, but I'm, I'm also a screenwriter, so I think about this, I think about this oh, yeah. stuff a lot. Sure. Um, and we, the, we break down the Anatomy of an Action Movie by the premise, uh, which sometimes incorporates a ticking clock. It doesn't really in this movie. The hero, the villain, the action, the humor, and sometimes uh, the, the, leading, the leading lady. Mm -hmm. So... The premise of this movie um, is, I'm just going to uh, uh, summarize this, uh, so just put it all in context. So the premise is thus, when, when he agrees to help a young woman searching for a missing father on the streets of New Orleans, Cajun sailor Chance Boudreaux stumbles on an organized business that facilitates the hunting of the homeless for wealthy clients. In the process, Chance becomes the cabal's latest target, but he quickly turns the tables and soon the hunters become the hunted. How does that premise rank for, does that tantalize you as a premise? Is that a good premise in your mind? Well, like, you hit all the notes, uh, turn the tables, hunter become the hunted, I the idea that he wants to help and you know he has a heart of gold. So yeah, I think even, e the whole movie could just be called Hunter Becomes the Hunted. That's all yeah. you need to see right there and I'm in. Now, this also goes back to uh, the most dangerous game, really, right? Yeah, like this, yeah. this premise is it's it's a it, it, which was the 1924 novella written by Richard uh, Connell that was adapted and expanded into a 1932 RKO movie. The most dangerous game, if you're not familiar with it, uh, for our listeners, is uh, about a big game hunter who ends up on a mysterious island and is then hunted himself by a wealthy psychopath. A uh, lot of other films have explored this idea, right? Like mm -hmm. um, Running Man. Uh, surviving the game? Are you on? Mm -hmm. I imagine you're sure. across across surviving the game uh, with Ice T and an incredible supporting cast. 
Avenging Force. Don't know if you're a Dudikoff guy. I imagine you might have a bit of a... American Ninja? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know Dudikoff. <laughs> uh, the Hunger Games, The Hunt. How do you rank this movie among the this sort of subgenre of like most dangerous game yeah. uh, explorations? Well, what I like about it, I like is that it distinguishes itself in a lot of ways where, um, you know, Lance Henriksen in this movie, he has a code and he has standards yeah. whereby we go for ex-military. We are not just pulling people out and regular, there's no challenge in that. We have guys who are qualified, who can stand on their own. It's kind of like in The Running Man when the Richard Dawson character, Dame Killian says, I want someone who can fight back. Give me someone who can give me some ratings and they find Schwarzenegger and it's like, now we got something. So um, listen, if you're gonna ask like, I think that Hunger Games clearly is the franchise. I think that The Running Man is the most beloved and for people like us. I, but again, we're coming across a pattern here, Philip, where Hard Target is forgotten, it's underrated, it's not looked back on. I don't think this movie, outside of him punching a snake, has a lot of profile online, especially for young people, and it should. Well, we're going to change that today. We're going to readdress yes. the cultural balance. <laughs> you and I. This like, is our code. <laughs> <laughs> it's also kind of a great, like, uh, another subgenre that I, I call, like, the fucked with the wrong guy movie. Hell you know, yes. like, John Wick kind John of Wick. Uh, speaks to that. Uh, Mad Max, Death Wish, Roll. Thunder, there's a whole bunch of kind of, there's a slight revenge element turning the tables to this There is, and you know, like there, there's a quirkiness that they try to establish with Chance, and I guess it gets back to your diehard comparisons. The first scene, the first time we see John McClane, he's not kicking ass, he's not cracking wise, he's not even smoking. He's on an airplane and he's really uncomfortable and he learns how to make fists with his feet. And it's this funny thing that, you know, oh, this guy's kind of weird and funny. The introduction to, to Van Damme in Hard Target, he is eating a bowl of crappy gumbo at a diner table and he makes a joke about it. And it's like, oh, okay. That There's a kind of a link there where you easily could just had him walk out in some smoke and roundhouse kick people. And we'll get to that. But they go with the offbeat first to try to establish a little personality. And I feel like that was just a, a just a drop of the McLeanian type yeah, character. Yeah, you're right. It's kind of like it positions him. It's another thing aspect I love about the movie is that he's positioned as an underdog. He's yeah. down on his look. He's out of work. He's implied to be homeless. Um, you know, we meet him kind of like in a, in a pretty dire uh, situation. So it's really cool. Of course, it, it's Van Damme as Casa. We kind of know that he's like uh, got, got some tricks up his sleeve. But it is interesting. You're right that he is uh, positioned as an underdog from the get go. Mm -hmm. By the way, to your point, it's funny. I was just thinking this is a slight side note. But I Do was it. thinking like, is the guy on the plane who tells McLean mm -hmm. to take his shoes off, is he the real villain of Die Hard? Technical, you know what I mean? Like he kind of, if it wasn't for him, you know, like, uh, <laughs> that's it the worst, ad worst advice. Also, worst like, does that help at all? You don't yeah. take your shoes off and make fists with your feet. If anything, that would make me more anxiety ridden. It's not a comfortable thing to do. <laughs> if he sits to any other chatterbox on the plane, he's got his shoes on the whole time. There's yeah. no glass. There's no none of that. That's such a great take. He really is like the patient zero of the Nakatomi yeah. terrorist he, overtake. He screws up everything. And he says, yes, sir, better than a shower and a hot cup of coffee. How? How is that better than a shower? Anyway, so he's, so he's, I think he might be the real villain. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, there isn't really a ticking clock in this one, so we don't need to kind of get too into that. But as we're talking about Chance Boudreau, let's talk about uh, the hero section, right? Okay. Is this, is this his best ever role? Is this Van Damme's best ever role? It's not very dialogue heavy. You don't get to say much. I, listen, I would define 
Van Damme's best role in the in the in the wherever he kicks ass the most. Yeah. So I can't I can't I don't know. They all kind of run together. It's like yeah. you're getting a solid plot every single time. He doesn't have a lot to to say in this one, which is fine. I still go back to some of the more pure martial arts stuff. Okay. I mean, that's obviously how he's how he started with, yeah, as you say, Cyborg. He'd done a bunch of movies before that, right? Like Black Eagle and uh, No Retreat, No Surrender. Then he kind of, what's interesting about Van Damme as well is he kind of like keeps the band together with a bunch of those movies in that era, right? Like yeah, Bloods, basically Kickbox is a remake of Bloodsport uh -huh. and Double Impact is like, okay, it's all the same people. It's like this, it's it's your your guy, uh, Chun Lee, Bolo Young, yep. right? Is back for Double Impact. Um, the music is the same. Like it's all in the Far East. It's all in Asia. He kind of keeps a lot of the elements. And what I think is cool about, and that's fine. Like he has a formula. He kind of knows yeah. what his fans like. He plays to his strengths. But this one is is quite a different character. And I think actually the fact that he doesn't have that much dialogue in this movie, it, it, it works to it works in his favor because mm. he can kind of be like the strong, silent type. And he doesn't need to, it, you know, di dialogue, complex dialogue or complex exposition isn't really his strong suit what we want to see is him throwing those roundhouse kicks right and but he i think he this is i think this might be his best role and like i said he's done a bunch of movies that i love and a bunch of parts mm. that i love frank dukes is an all-timer of course sure. um but this is i think it's it's a great role for him it's kind of tailor-made and i believe that the writer when van damme signed on changed the setting to new orleans so that mm. the belgian accent of course it's actually you know it's french it's a french community but it, it's still it's 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 close enough that it feels like organic for him whereas usually they have to be like, oh he's called luke Devereux, even though he's yeah, like yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. vietnam veteran <laughs> like don't worry about it <laughs> right you know they find some way to shoehorn it in um but i think it's one of his coolest i think characters. you know what's only missing from the role and I'm surprised they deprived us of this. I'm very surprised there is not a more uh, a stronger romantic storyline and that there is not a love scene. And sometimes yes. in these action movies, they just run out of time. And yeah. I will, I, 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 the film Commando, Arnold Schwarzenegger, one of my favorite movies. Originally, there was supposed to be one with Arnold and Ray Don Chong. And they're just like, it doesn't make sense. We don't have time. Get it the hell out. Because normally, back in the day, they wanted a scene where they make out and do whatever. And it's just sitting there for you with these two characters. Yeah. But they don't go to it. And I'm surprised. Yeah, they. I think I think they might have done from the research I did. I think it may have been cut, you know, because as you say, like it, it it's it just doesn't really have the real estate, you know. And we yeah. don't. Who cares? You know what I mean? <laughs> like I, I I like Yancey Butler in this movie, and, I, and there is a moment where it seems like they're gonna kiss and they dial yeah. up the chemistry, oh, yeah, yeah. and then of course the snake is a bit of a cop block uh, in the, in, the, <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge in that in that moment. I think what they ended up saying, Philip, they're like, look, we can keep one scene. You want to have the two of them make out, or do you want to have a guy get his ear cut off? You can only keep one. We're going yeah. with the ear. Oh, or great or punch the snake. You know, or like, punch which, the like, snake. What's your priority here? You want to see them make out, or you want to see a, a really bad rubbery snake get punched by Van Damme? And it's great because punch the snake sounds like a like a dirty sexual euphemism. So it is actually it, ironic. I, the second you said that, my mind instantly went to that. Like, oh wow, like, I'm gonna be start. Right. I'm gonna use that in an inappropriate context sure. at a later date. Um, but yeah, his superpower in his USP has always been his kicks. And that's established yeah. from that shot at the beginning where he comes out of the diner that we're talking about. The, the bad guys are are roughing up uh, Yancey Butler, who plays uh, Natasha Binder. Our, our hero steps in and he pulls back the long overcoat to reveal, not a gun, 
something better than a gun, his leg. Yep. John Claude Van Damme's leg. I'd love that. I love that moment. I think it's like we kind of know in a weird way, like this. Okay, this is the frequency that this movie's operating on. There's a it's sort so of true. gleeful absurdism to it, but you're like, hell yeah, this is this is awesome. You know, it's and a real Western moment. Yeah, no, there he, is. You, you think it's going to be a gun, and it's this leg, and it's this sort of unveiling, which is I, I have a feeling that the character, or maybe Van Damme in real life, uses the same strategy during his lovemaking with with robes and things like that. I'm sure he gets way into that, but once he starts kicking, the leg is out. You know, this is the cowboy. This is like Clint Eastwood with the gun, yeah. and just get the hell out of the way. I will say, Phil, there's one thing that I also, I said the romantic story. There's another thing that I think is missing. I, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe JCVD does the splits in this film. That's right. I don't think he does, or he doesn't show his behind as well, which is like we, no. we, we couldn't take them off the list. And that, those, those, that's are, those what are we come to I expect. Want. It's like <laughs> I, when I see the guy from from uh, Fresh Prince, I want him to do the Carlton dance. Like I want Van Damme to do the splits. It is the signature movie. He does it in Time Cop. He does it in almost all of them. Yep. I can't believe this didn't make it, but maybe he was, again, trying to move away from the splits. Like that's not my thing anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is an evo- it's definitely an evolution um, of it. It's, it's somewhat more. Um, um, yeah, it, 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 I mean, it's a John Woo movie more it's more than it's a Van Damme movie, if that makes sense. You know what I yeah. mean? I think like the, 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 the needle is just a little oh, bit yeah. more uh, in that direction. This is what I mean by that is that it isn't like Van Damme with his cadre of guys like it's all you'll see the same names on those movies like no, Sheldon no. Littich and Mark DeSalle and uh, the guy who does the mute Paul Herzog does the music. Yeah. And it's like. I was watching Kickboxer and it's like fight scenes choreographed and directed by Van Damme. Like he is, he is pulling the strings. He's the Warren Beatty of these martial arts movies. He's like across everything. This is different, right? This is, this is an auteur. This is, this is John Woo, arguably the greatest action director of all time. And he is in command of this movie. And that did lead to an interesting power struggle as well um, during, uh, during the editing. Um, about, you know, whether it was more a John Woo film or a Van Damme vehicle, you know? Um, Absolutely. And there was like a, there was a kind of a battle on set from what I've heard. You're laying it out. It's funny that it's like, this is Jean-Claude on his own. And I'm thinking, you know, Sandler, there's no rock, there's no spade, there's no Rob Schneider. It is just you. And you're working with Paul Thomas Anderson and Punch Drunk Love. And you better bring that because this is not somebody getting kicked in the nuts and pretending that you're have a twin sister. Like that is, it's totally different deal. This is Van Damme on his own carrying the film. It's kind of exciting. You got to bring it. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. But fortunately, they partnered him with an incredible villain, bringing us to our next category of the villain, which is Lance Henriksen playing Emile Fouchon. How do you feel about this dude? I mean, it's awesome. It, it, was, it was a really good actor. He was acting the hell out of this thing. And I'm trying to think about him in the pantheon of, of Van Damme uh, nemesis. It's, it's, yeah. You don't have a real thespian. I can't think of one at all. You mentioned Bolo Young, who does his best acting with his left pack and his right pack, and I love it. Thousand and I feel like that's my Uncle Bolo. But you actually got a guy who, when you're doing a scene with him, you got to keep up. I mean, that's yeah. that's a real dude who's been around the block a million times. He was in Terminator. He's been in like sci-fi royalty, action royalty. Like it's You brought some some heat to the set. 
Yeah, and and they don't get too many scenes together, but when they do, like at the end when they kind of have a standoff, it's pretty electrifying. I love Lance Henriksen. Like, and what I was thinking about this as well is like weirdly he's in he's in my favorite science fiction movie, which is Aliens, yeah, sci-fi action movie. He's in my favorite sci-fi horror movie, The Terminator, and of course he was originally cast as the Terminator. Yeah, um, right. uh, and there was some amazing stories uh, about that because the character was going to be more someone that stepped out of the shadows to blow your head off, was a little bit yeah. more nondescript. He's also in my favorite horror movie, Near Dark, um, mm. and, and it's interesting, like Lance Henriksen's approach to uh to his like characterization because there was some details I discovered. I mean and you had an acting background, right? And I'm interested sure. in your your approach and your thoughts on this because he said um he said I'm not I'm he said I'm a primitive. I'm not an intellectual. He goes very much for physicality. For this film, he pinned his ears back to look like a Rottweiler. Like mm. that, he, he for near dark, he like lost uh, a ton of weight so yeah. that he looked gaunt and his, you could almost see the veins in his chest and he had like cracked where he played a vampire and he had cracked uh, nails on his side. He seems to go kind of, um, the external is the internal for him in a way. Mm -hmm. Like his approach to it is, uh, is very sort of tactile and visceral. He's not sort of uh, too heady about it. He's very, uh, you know, physically connected, if that makes sense. Um, but I think this is, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's one of the best villains that Van Damme's ever faced. It's a real actor. I think Ron Silver in Time Cop and Powers Booth in, in Sudden mm. Death are worth a mention. You know, they're proper actors, like there's the studio movies. And of course, Dolph, lest we forget, you know, uh, in You in Soul. Um, but I, I, it's hard to, I mean, this is an amazing villain, right? Like, well, yeah, I think the Henderson part, I think it can be summed up in about a five seconds in, in, in the final scene I'm watching it. I watched it earlier this week for the first time in a while. And I'm sitting, I'm like, how did, that's incredible that Lance Henriksen did the pyrotechnics and was allowed himself to be set on fire. How did he do that? Because his entire jacket is in actual flames and he's taking it off. I'm like, they would never do that with him. That He must have signed away his, 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 his liability and all that. And then you come to find out that, no, it just caught on fire by accident. He stayed in character, stayed in the scene, took it off, and started screaming at the actors around him. That is so cool and so badass. That's that's like, the, in that little four-second period, that tells you his commitment. He's not like, eh, it's some Van Damme movie, I'm just collecting a check. No, he was going for the Oscar in that movie. 100%. And and he said as well, like, he, he, he I, I think he could probably care less about Van Damme, but he loved John Woo. And yeah. it, there was a, there was a lovely quote I found from him where he said he said he was he was such a fan of John Woo's films. He said they were so creative, they were so balletic, yeah. and they had this incredible philosophy in them. The violence was only a container for the philosophy. And he he's also said in the in the interview in the making of he said I love John Woo. I would do all the animals in Noah's Ark for him. So Aww. I think he was it was like really lovely. It was it really kind of touching. Yeah, <laughs> and and John Woo deserves that, right? Like he does. so he was clearly like yeah, well as you said like committed. He was not taking a paycheck. He was like I yeah. am here for this. It's a great character. He's got this deep gravelly voice that gives him tremendous force, and he's also kind of quite a strong physical adversary. Hell as yes, well, which is. you don't always get with some of these. Like we've we talked about how Gruber is kind of not really, he's more of a, an intellectual combatant he, uh, to well, McLean. But if they were to fight, he'd get his ass kicked, right? But not not so much with this guy. No, he can handle himself too. But it just occurred to me, uh, help me with the actor's name who plays the heavy, who's the bald guy, who's like his muscle. Arnold uh, Boslu. Okay, so yeah. that, I mean, that is, um, that's Hans. 
And that's Hans and uh, and, and what's his name? Hans um, and Carl. Totally. That's Hans and Carl. Hundred percent. Like that. That's it, it's it's villain A and then villain one and then villain like one A. And both of those guys are incredible. He went on to, we know him in The Mummy and all that thing. He played yep. the villain in a season of 24 in which he was terrifying and was going to dirty bomb the whole world. So he could have carried it on his own, but you give Henderson as well. And it is, it is it feels like Hans and Carl, the one who's the mastermind and the one who is the psycho killer. It's awesome. I totally, I totally agree. Well, let's talk about Arnold Vosloo as Pick Van Cleef for a second. Um is he is he one of the best henchmen ever? And who would you who would you have in your like your ultimate Hall of Fame henchman? Oh my God, there's so many good ones. Um, I I think about obviously Carl. You know, I, I mentioned him, and, and there's like the three of them in that movie. Yeah. Um, I think you know uh, Bennett in the Commando movie yes. was like a henchman good who call. turned into an enemy who became one by himself, even though his physique was absurd next to Arnold's and he had chainmail to cover it and lay it down. <laughs> yeah. That was a rough one. <laughs> and they did that movie at the end of that movie that they didn't do here, where before Bennett and, and uh, Matrix are about to fight, Matrix gets shot so as to weaken him to make the fight more believable. Yes. yes. And I kept thinking that they would have done that with Hard Target, but they just didn't. And yeah. like, that's a, God, the Henchman Hall of that Fame would needs have, to be a real thing. That would have weakened uh, Lance Henriksen doesn't need to be wounded. This isn't like Ben Gazzara going up against Swayze at the end of Roadhouse. <laughs> like, the, Henriksen feels like he has a fair shot at like, just with sheer ferocity, I think he could take on Van Damme, you know? I will uh, say, if, I, if my job is to hunt soldiers and I am a professional killer and I have all the weapons disposed to, in my disposal, I would probably choose a firearm that shoots more than one shot without manually reloading, just to cover my bases in case I miss. It's really cool, and he makes her load him and everything, and there's all this cool innuendo and a power move there. It's really, really putting your lot of stock in that one shot, because the other guy's got a shotgun, and you got this thing with bam and done. The gun's cool, but it's a risk. But that's how much of a, of a badass he is. He so is. that gun apparently is used for killing buffalo. It's a Thompson Center Arms contender. And apparently that was Henriksen's so cool. uh, choice. It was a character choice because that gun was used by Mad Dog in Hard Boiled, who was the sort of uh, main henchman in that movie. And, and ah. Lance Henriksen liked that and was like, oh, I want to use that gun because I'm so above the fray. I only need yeah. one shot, right? Um, <laughs> and, until he finds a, a hard cool. target. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I love those, those two together are like, they could, I could watch, I could watch a million movies with those It's guys. a great, they should have had a side off this movie. <laughs> yeah. Now they would do it and those two would have a 10 episode Netflix series or yeah. there would be an origin story or something and I'd be there. Sign me up. Mm -hmm. Uh, they have great chemistry. Um, okay. So we're on to our section. I'm sorry, about... Philip. I just yes, thought sir. of my all time favorite henchman. Please. And it's a, from a wildly different era. Um, eight millimeter machine is my favorite henchman with the gimp mask. And that, I mean, if you know the movie, I'm sure. It's I do. It's a very, very it, dark, sick This is movie. an incredible pull. I love it. <laughs> but I love Machine. That's his name. And then it fights Nicolas Cage. He gets stabbed. That's my guy. I, I think it's Chris Bauer. Is that his name? Who was from The Wire? The actor from The Wire uh who oh, yeah. uh played uh machine and when he's on mask because you're expecting him to look he's satan himself and he yeah. looks like kind of just like a like a software guy. programmer or yes. something you know yes. and, and it's it makes it more terrifying no it's big great. fan big fan of machine as a henchman if not for his actions in in the world of, <laughs> of eight millimeter which is a pretty grim movie really uh, but that's a great pull i'm for the record uh we talked about this on our last boy scout episode but i'm a big milo guy oh hell uh, yes you know 
God, I got to meet that guy henchmen. once. That Did actor you? who plays Milo, and he's 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 left the planet at this point. But years ago, I lived in LA, and I was in a coffee shop with him, and he was just sitting there, and we just started talking like just normal conversation. And I go, I gotta ask you, man, like you were in the last Boy Scout. He goes, Yes, yes, I was. I got to punch Bruce Willis, and he was really cool, and he told the whole story of it. I love that. He was a great guy. I I, I believe he's passed away. But he was ready to talk Last Boy Scout all day. It was pretty cool. Oh, man. Yeah, Taylor Negron. What a, what an amazing mm. performance. I, I truly think that is one of the best. Me and Liam had an argument about it in that in that episode because he was like, he was all about Busey and Lethal Weapon. And I was like, I was I was pushing for Milo. But, uh, the you know, Machine definitely up there too. But that's nice to hear about Taylor yes. Negron. I, 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 I love that guy. Um, all right. So we're on to our section about the action. The ac we're sure. assessing the action in this movie. Um one of the things that occurred to me about this, just to sort of frame this a little bit, was as I was watching it uh, again, this movie is kind of like a sports car that moves through the gears, right? We kind of start in second. Okay, we start with an action sequence. It's fairly well choreographed. By the midsection of the movie, there's that incredible uh motorcycle chase and shootout on the bridge okay we'll move into third gear okay yeah. we're stepping it up then there's a helicopter in the, you know in the house like pursuing him through the bio we're into we're into fourth gear now and then by the finale we're fifth gear we're flying for this incredible 20 minute full throttle that's when it's a straight john woo movie i mean yeah. what are your favorite action sequences in this movie well, I think the point when it gets when it breaks the John Woo scale, when you just it's the spinal tap turned up to eleven, yeah. is the sequence whereby Chance, Chance is on horseback with a shotgun. There's the killers in the helicopter with their own guns, and they're having a gunfight, probably not been done before or since. The helicopter to <laughs> horseback gunfight with a shotgun, which whole point of it can't even really shoot far distances like that, but he's pecking them off. That takes incredible skill. So I really liked that moment and it reminded me to bring back the fugitive. It, it, it was like the same riverbank that Richard Kimball is running along when he's first yes. trying to escape. And, and even with the helicopter being flown by Deputy Gerard. So I love that moment. And I, listen, I love all the Brimley, of course, because it's hilarious. But that one was like 11 out of 10 when he's the horse versus helicopter. Okay, that's interesting that that was your, uh, usually, you know, we talk a lot on the show about how I'm obsessed with helicopters and that almost mm -hmm. every film that we do has a helicopter in it. And if sure. there's a helicopter involved, I'm there. My criteria generally for to see movies are helicopter SWAT teams and aliens if it has Great. one of those uh, at least one of those three I, I'm definitely gonna I'm definitely gonna go see it. if you have all three then uh then, then, I'm, then I'm very very happy but the 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 action in this film is what makes it I think transcendent like this is what truly elevates it the choreography uh woos just mastery uh it, it really is allowed is given space to shine in a few kind of key set pieces um, the one on the bridge where, the, where he's bouncing on the motorbike, uh, awesome. right, um, is pretty is pretty fantastic. The sequence, as you say, with the, with the with the with the horse and helicopter chase, you don't see that every day. But for me, the uh, the Mardi Gras graveyard sequence at the end is where this film is just like jaw-droppingly amazing in yeah. terms as an action as an action movie. Um, I mean, what do you think about that finale? Because for me, that's like pretty much as good as it gets. 
It's very original. The optics and, and the visuals are very strange. And you have to remind yourself, like, what are all these things? What is this crown? What is this clown? Oh, it's Mardi Gras. How, how, what a creative idea. Yeah. And I like even before then, the inception. One of my things, you mentioned helicopters that you love. I love any situation in a movie where uh, someone is inside some sort of edifice or building and the bad guys are outside and they they, they say something like, there's no way out. You know, you're, there's no way out of this thing. And there always is a way. And it that reminds me of That was a good Henriksen, like, by the way. That definitely oh, not bad. Not bad. I can bring it down. <laughs> so he screams it and he tells his guys. And there's a million movies like that. There's there's a memorable movie part at the end of, of Young Guns where they just can't get out. And they're surrounded by everybody and they have to shoot their way out. So it's a great scene. I love at the end that Brimley helps but then doesn't help. Um I loved it. And I love the back-to-back -back that they do. And then they just start shooting. The creativity. We've seen a million yeah. final stage in some sort of warehouse, including like a Stallone does it in Cobra. They just find these warehouses next to Highway, and that's where they get in the shootout. But you've never seen the visuals like that with the Mardi Gras stuff. Where I thought it was some fun flavor. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. I love it. It really is kind of um, a unique sequence. Um, all right. We're going to touch on... Um, uh, well, let's talk about Wilford, right? Like, we're, we you brought just brought him up. I just want to step back. Feels like you've got a lot of hot takes on Wilford Brimley, um, <laughs> I'm, and I'm here for them. What's your relationship with this with this cuddly uh, icon uh, in you know in in our lives that is Wilford Brimley? Wilford Brimley was my grandpa growing up. That, that's my guy. I, I would I would I would, fell in love with him in a show that he used to do called Our House back in the eighties, starring Deidre Hall and Chad Allen and Shannon Doherty, in which he was really the lead in the show. And then the real deep dive, for whatever reason, when I was about nine or ten years old, I used to had the video cassette of Star Wars: The Battle for Endor, and it's this off-brand, like kind of it's it's on brand, but it's this offshoot of Star Wars, like not the ones Disney's doing now. It's basically the Mandalorian, but thirty years ago. They're like, let's make side movies. And Wilford Brimley was an action hero, and he fights, and he flies a spaceship, and he rescues people, and it, it, he's just he kicks some ass. So imagine in 1993, you don't know who's in the movie. You just show yeah. up and it's Van Damme and he's going to kick some people. Not only does he show up, he shows up at roughly, I don't know, the 85% mark. And he's riding horses and making moonshine and shooting arrows. And he's exactly the perfect human being that I want to be when I'm that age or when I'm this age. And just kills the movie and does an accent fully committed. So my question, Philip, is when they came to Wilford Brimley and they say, we got this part. It's very small part. You're going to ride a horse. I know you're getting up there in age. You're going to shoot a bow and arrow and drink booze. I think at this point, he's coming off the firm in which he has a yes. big part in a huge yeah, movie. Yeah. He's like, I'm in. I want to do it. What a crazy choice by him to say yes to this. Yeah, he's certainly not what you would th It's it's uh, you would think of as like your first choice. It's almost like, um, I don't know, like the, the Sam Elliott character in, in Roadhouse, right? Like yes. th that kind of like ancillary helper, mentor. We talk about this a lot, like a lot of these movies have that kind of Al Powell type character that circles the yes. action and provides moral support or maybe a little bit of assistance. He kind of in a weird way falls into that category, but no, you ain't seen nothing like Uncle Duvet in, in, in anything before awesome. or since. I mean, he God broke the mold with Wilford Brimley, right? Like Yeah, he, in, in such little screen time, he does every cool thing. He hotwires the bombs, he's drinking booze, 
He's got the shotgun for you. He takes care of the woman. He speaks the accent. He rides the horse. He all but kills the bad guy. He survives to the, the thing with, with his flask. Like, don't you want to hang with him? I'd oh, much yeah. rather hang with him than with Chance. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 a hoot. He's a veritable hoot. Well, that This is really sort of in our humor section as well. Like, Because yeah. that is where the humor kind of comes from with, with Wilford Brimley. His late appearance adds a lot of eccentric warmth and charm. Um, but actually, the first the first half of the film, when we talked, touched on this a little bit earlier has kind of a somber tone has kind of like there's a melancholy to it with the there scenes is. with the with the homeless community and and i i was thinking like especially with the character of roper who i want to talk about a little bit uh who was one of the guys that gets hunted who was one of the veterans they hunt there's a sort of theme of dignity you know mm-hmm. people trying to maintain their dignity in this terrible situation and it it, it speaks to Wu's again. We we've talked about him as the poet of action cinema, and the the early scenes really have a kind of like quite a, a delicate touch. That's all abandoned by the end when we get into the uh, into this snake incredible punching. shootout, snake punching, and and Wilford <laughs> just on a horse kicking ass. Um, the leading lady in this movie, Yancy Butler. Um, what are your thoughts on on her character, her performance on on uh, on this role? I don't think it's aged great. Um, she. She doesn't ever have the moment that really breaks through of a lot of empowerment. She doesn't fight. She doesn't kick any ass. She's kind of scared the whole time and she needs the man to take care of her, which is interesting choice because if you wanted that character, there were a million actresses to play it. Yancey can kick some ass. And as we know, went on to go do Witchblade. And I remember she caught my eye when in the movie called Drop Zone. Drop Zone. Wesley oh, it's Snipes. on our list. Yeah. Okay, great. Wesley Snipes. What is it? Is that Die Hard in the air? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, it's not the greatest character. Look, she acts the best she can. She has, she's a beautiful, beautiful woman. I would have liked to see a little more of like a character arc where she's kicking some ass at some point, which she really doesn't. Yeah, she was kind of uncomfortable with the damsel in distress stuff and she doesn't get a ton to do, especially in the second half of the movie. Once it shifts from the like investigative plot to uh, to, to the action, she does have one moment where she, she blows the guy away. Uh, mm. Those two guys are called Frick and Frack, by the way. Don't ask. Yeah. I've got no. I got no further data on that. Those two henchmen. The one is <laughs> like, get out of town. Do it yeah, today. Yeah. And point her titties north. Like this. This sort of <laughs> Cajun nightmare stereotype. But that she yeah. ends up blowing away. So she does get one moment. But then Duvet's like, true. give me the gun. Give me the gun. So, yeah. um, but one thing she did say that I wanted to touch on that I thought was lovely on on the on the uh, special features was she said Jean Claude Van Damme was a gentleman. He was the dancer, and John Wu was the choreographer. And I thought, I like that, you know? So, yeah, she I, I really like her in this movie. I think she's cool, but unfortunately she doesn't get a ton to do. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Now we're going to move on to a section I think you're going to love. I can't wait. Um, which is called the Die Hard Oscars, a.k.a. the Action Movie Awards. And this is where we give out awards uh, uh, for for various nominees uh, within, yeah, for, for, uh, for, uh, uh, within the action genre. Okay, okay. so... Our first award is the John McClane Yippie Kaye Award for the best line. And my nominees are, and you feel free to add any if you if you have yeah. any, but the ones I had, I'm very partial to Wakey Wakey, you fat fuck. That was gonna be mine. I mean, <laughs> That's great. It's that a, was mine. It's a singer. I mean, would just perfect. Um, it's perfect. That's what Pick Van Cleef says to Randall when he slaps him in the in the stomach when he wakes. It's a nice wake up call. Um, that's what my wife says to me every morning. Is uh, that right? <laughs> she slaps me in the in the abdomen and says, "Wakey, wakey, you fat fuck." Um, to which I go and rise and get a coffee. 
the next one I have is now you understand why we insist on payment up front. Yeah. Which is what Fushan says after finishing off the client, Mr. Zanon, when it goes bad. And then I've got two from Van Damme. Uh, when Fushan asks Chance why he bothered to get into this, and he responds, poor people get bored too, which I thought mm. was kind of a good one. Beautiful. And the final blockbuster line that I had was, uh, hunting season is over. Hell yeah. Do you Last have anything line. to add, or, or would you have a nominee out of those for best line? I do like when he tries the gumbo at the end, and, he, and, and she says, how is it? And what he says... Uh, unconscionable or offensive or something is not even close. That's his first line that he speaks. But listen, we're we're, we're wasting time. Yeah. The idea, okay. Wakey, wakey, <laughs> you fat fuck. That's an incredible. That should be a meme. How come people don't meme that? Because they don't know hard target. Watch it, guys. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't. Get, it's it's so fun to say. I recommend that people say it, especially to uh, especially to your loved ones. <laughs> All right. The um, Hans Gruber Exceptional Thief Award for stealing the film. My nominees are Go on. Wilford Brimley as Uncle Clarence Duvet. Yeah. Casey Lemons as Detective May Mitchell, who uh, is the New Orleans uh, cop who kind of helps them early in the investigation. Yep. Willie C. Carpenter as Elijah Roper, uh, Elijah Roper, one of Fouchon's first victims. He's the uh, the veteran that they that they kind of trick into hunting, and yep. we, we spent quite a lot of time with him. I think he's fantastic. Um, Arnold Vosloo as Pick Van Cleef and Lance Henriksen as Emile Fouchon. Who would be your vote? Uh, oh, please feel free to add anyone if there's anyone you like. But if you well, don't, the, who the, would you um, vote for? The police officer you mentioned who gets into the, the woman who gets killed in the street. I always look at her and I'm like, oh, that's Clarice Starling's friend from Silence of the Lambs. Right. That's that's her. And I always look at her that way. She's not her. Um, I would also submit that the, the exceptional fucking thief award I think we can debate who steals Die Hard. I still have a really soft spot for Ellis. I, I, Ellis is electricity every single time he's on screen. So no maybe there should here. be an Ellis award too. Uh, listen, again, the movie could just end. He punches the snake. They chase him into the factory and it's over. But they said, no, no. We're going to inject a national treasure like Wilford Brimley, who is known to a huge part of the community for just saying the word diabetes. But And we're going to show that he's a great actor. He can crack some skulls while he drinks moonshine. It is Brimley in a long shot. I can't believe he's not on the poster. Okay. All right. That's very, that's a, that's very fair. Um, all right. Well, you might like our next one. We, we Maybe we need to come up with an Ellis one. But we do have the Dick Thornburg Award for Dick of the Movie. Sure. Um, my nominees are Mr. Lopaki, the first client who hunts and kills Binder. He's played by Bob Apisa, uh, who you may recognize as Senator Baynard's bodyguard in The Last Boy Scout. He kind of mm. pops up. He's a stuntman. Uh, Mr. Zanon, as, uh, played by Joe Warfield, who's the businessman who hunts Ro Roper and then kind of gets second thoughts once he's wounded him. Yeah. Ted Raimi, brother of uh, executive producer Sam Raimi, is the man in the street who doesn't help Roper. Uh, Dr. Morton, played by Marco St. John, who's the corrupt coroner with the nasty cough. Mm -hmm. And Randall Poe, played by Elliot Keener, who is the portly, sleazy middleman who finds Fouchon's victims for him. Who would be your pick for Dick of the Movie? You know... Raimi in the street. I said, I know that guy. And I have not known who that was until you just mentioned it. I said, didn't that guy go on to be in 
Ally McBeal or something. I've seen that guy in different movies, and he just completely just says, get away from me and is the dick. I'm going with him. Help okay. me out with that actor. He, he, had, he ended up being other things. Yeah, so Ted Raimi uh, came up in um, our Patriot Games episode. He plays a CIA That's what it is. analyst uh, yes. when, with, with Harrison Ford, and uh, he, he pops up He pops up in Sam Raimi's movies, but yeah, he ha- kind of has his own He has his own career, and he's in a lot of these movies in this time in the Hell 90s. Yes, he he's is. still around. That's the guy. Doing, doing work. All right, cool. Interesting choice. Uh, and our final uh, Oscar uh, category is the best death, which usually is presented by Marco, uh, yeah. i.e. Liam doing a very enthusiastic impression of Marco from Die Hard. The uh, no more table. Uh, where are you going, pal? <laughs> that guy. Um, so shout out to Liam. We miss you. Uh, OK, my nominees are for this one for best death. Let's go through the peephole. Dr. Morton being shot. In the eye through the peephole by Van Cleef. Roper, when he steals the weapon from uh, Mr. Zanan and shoots him in the graveyard. That was a pretty cool, unexpected yeah, moment. Uh, Chance scooping up the gasoline can and shooting it midair with the shotgun. That's pretty. That's oh pretty, my God, he sick. kicks it. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the X Games or something. Yeah. That was so cool. <laughs> uh, Van Cleef's death. When when Van Damme is like, uh, he, he, he throws a grenade, it explodes, Van Damme slides backwards across the floor with two yep. handguns, shoots him multiple times at close range, mm-hmm. and uh, Fouchon getting a grenade down the pants. Um, thoughts, moans, groans, yeah. ideas? First of all, I, I, I used to work with Marco. I, I used to, <sighs> he and I were, uh, he used to, if you can look it up, he used to be on Days of Our Lives. He had a recurring part, and I was on Days of Our Lives for four years, and I used to work on him. And I think two and a half years in, I said, Oh my God, is that no more table guy from Die Hard? <laughs> and it was. And I asked him about it. And he said, Yes, no more table. And people always would say that to him. Really nice guy. Just like just like, just like the other story I told. Happy to tell Die Hard stories. This is incredible. All about how cool uh, Bruce was. And they smoked a lot of cigarettes together. It was awesome. So I knew Marco back in the day. Wow. I wish I should pick him. I have to tell you, the 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 death that shocked me the most. It was is the idea that uh, he when he catches the, the 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 sex line pamphlet guy trying to leave town to go see his mother, and just shotguns him right in the face in broad daylight and next to the street. That was an, a brutal death. That I and it and it goes all over the back windshield like oh, yeah. Marvin and Pulp Fiction. Like I could not believe. I'm like oh. When I was a kid, I'm like, they're not really going to kill him. He's just going to threaten them. And I think, no, boom, blows us out. The 90s were wild. So yeah. I'm going to go off okay. the ballot and say okay. that one. Kicking the gasoline can is a hilarious, hilarious thing that they kept in the movie. So if what is the criteria, the funniest or best? Just best death. All right, then. All right. So let me just, I sidetracked. The gasoline can kick up okay. plus shoot okay. is definitely it. Okay, good call. Um, so Kyle hosted a fantastic podcast called 10 Questions with Kyle Brandt, where he interviewed and quizzed such luminaries as Matthew McConaughey, Viggo Mortensen, Tim Robbins, J.K. Simmons, Jim Belushi. I love yeah. that one because I'm a big, big red heat guy. Oh, cool. uh, uh, as well as numerous NFL superstars. But today, uh, if he's willing to do so, Kyle will be our contestant for Double Jeopardy Trivia Quiz, uh, where the scores can really change. So the rules are simple. Um, there are three questions. Uh, each time you can phone a friend, you can radio Al Powell, and I will provide you with one clue. Okay? So you have All one right. clue available for each for each question. Uh, don't worry too much if you don't know. This is also for I'm our listeners at, at home. This. It's for our listeners at home. Don't worry about it. It's just a bit of fun. It's just a bit of fun. Go ahead. All right. All right. Okay. Question number one. 
Which legendary movie star and action icon, also no stranger to a mullet, did John Woo originally want to play the lead in this film? Chuck Norris. That's that's not the correct answer. You can phone. Do you want to do you want to call Al Powell? No. No. Al Powell can sit down there and have his yellow dye number five. <laughs> uh, the answer is Kurt Russell. Yes. Well done. Correct. Uh, yeah, Kurt Russell was who he originally uh, when when he got the script. That was who he was originally would awesome. wanted. He was unavailable for like two years, so they went to Van Damme, who had been Universal's original choice. Okay, now they get a little little bit harder. Okay, but I think okay. I, I'm fascinated to know if you'll get this one. Okay, okay, number two, Chuck Farah, the writer of Hard Target, previously co-wrote a 1990 action movie that was named after a famous elite military unit that he was actually part of in real life. Can you name that movie? Navy SEALs? Yes! <laughs> this is why I had you on the show, Kyle. Like Michael that, that's, Bean, that's my Charlie guy. Sheen. There's an, <laughs> a, there's an, a hold your water under breath moment. It goes on to be made fun of in Kevin Smith's Clerks years later. Navy SEALs. I rented it from Blockbuster when I was in like sixth grade. Great. Amazing. Amazing. Yes. I love I love <laughs> Navy SEALs. <laughs> I think it's great. Uh, and yeah, the writer Chuck Farrah was actually a, a Navy SEAL. I um, almost said Delta Force. And then I said no. Navy SEAL, stick with it. It got well, you, me home. You were, you were on the right lines and you were right to be patient. You didn't God. even need the clue. No. Um, all right. This is our last question, which sometimes I like to call convoluted corner, corner, Great. corner, corner. Okay. But I, I think I think this will be in your wheelhouse. Okay. okay. Bodybuilder Sven Ole Thorsen appears in Hard Target as Stefan, the barrel-chested, cigar-chomping client in the colorful shirt who joins the Bayou hunting party towards the end of the film. Which thematically similar 1987 film about humans What's the matter? Steroids make you deaf? Get him out of here now! I guess this goes to steroids. He is, he is Damon Killian's bodyguard. He is, he is in The Running Man. He's supposed to have this confrontation with the mad dog Ben Richards at the end of the movie, and he decides to walk away. I watched it earlier a few days ago. Like I said, I'm like, oh, I didn't know a Running Man guy was in this. Amazing. It's definitely The Running Man. Final answer. Absolutely correct. This guy doesn't even need me to finish the questions. Uh, <laughs> yep. Sven plays the ICS security guard uh, in The Running Man. What's also weird, he's, he has an uncredited part in, in Predator as one of the Russian officers in the camp that gets raided. Also yep. a movie about hunting. Uh, so it was quite uh, a 1987 for him. He does get killed by Schwarzenegger. I, I believe he's the one where Arnold kicks open the door and says, knock, knock, and then he kills somebody. I think that's the guy. So obviously he had a tie. He had a way into these action movies. But well, he was well. bros with Arnold. Uh, he's yeah. in all his movies. Uh, Sven. Sven, uh, Sven Ole Awesome, as he's affectionately awesome. referred to as. That's oh, a, that was wow, you, you, that was fantastic. You did amazing in the quiz. This has been an absolute <laughs> blast. Uh, do you have any final thoughts uh, about Hard Target? Anything else you want to say? Yeah, you know what? Um, I think one of the hallmarks of a great action movie is get in quick and get out quick. And I, when, when watching earlier this week, I did not remember how quick the movie ends after the villain is vanquished. So I did the work and I want to share it with you at Die Hard on a Blank. I timed on my phone how long it goes between, between the time that the grenade blows up 
and Hendrickson is killed, and the credits roll is 48 seconds. Wow. It is well under a minute. It's not even close. The guy's dead. Get the people out of here and get them in their cars and go home. And I respect it. There's a lot to be said for that. Like Karate Kid kind of ends that. Like end yes. on the high point, get out. Cut to credits. It's the best. There's a lot to be said for that. I totally agree. And then it's uh, Born on the Bayou and everybody's happy heading to their cars. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much, Kyle, for doing this. You are welcome back anytime. Awesome. Please join us again. Uh, I'll send you a bunch of movies. Like hit us up anytime. Um so thank you so much, Kyle. It's been absolute delight to have you on the show. Uh, please come back. Um, okay, please uh, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, find us on Twitter and Instagram. We're uh, at DieHardOAB. I'm on Twitter at Philip Gawthorn. I'm shouting into the void out there. Uh, Kyle is uh, on Twitter being far more influential and funny yeah, than, sure. than, than I am. Uh, you can email us uh, at diehardoab at gmail.com. Next time on the show, we'll be doing Striking Distance, the 1993 action thriller starring Bruce Willis as a Pittsburgh river cop <laughs> hunting a serial killer. And uh, thank you once again, Kyle, and we'll be back next time with some new FBI guys. Thank you all. Thanks, Philip. All right. Die Hard on a Blank is a podcast created and hosted by Philip Gawthorne. Liam Billingham co-hosts and produces the show. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. Rate, review, follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Most importantly, tell your movie podcast-loving friends about Die Hard on a Blank. Special thanks to Suki Chu. See you next time on Die Hard on a Blank. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.